Well, welcome to another episode of the Door of Hope Leadership Podcast. Uh, this is Cameron Hager, and I am here with two upstanding gentlemen. That's Josh White and Tim Smith. Hey, guys. Hey. How's it going? It's going well. Um, well, we usually do a little intro. Me and Josh have done these before. Tim, you have not. So I'm just going to put you on the spot. Um, cool. Give us... Give us... Who are you in... 15 seconds. <laughs> uh, I grew up on the west side of Portland, born and raised. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, ended up getting married in 97 to my wife, Beth. Um, ended up in vocational ministry not too long after that. So it would have been 21 years this year in a variety of churches but mostly at Mars Hill Church in Seattle for about 15, 16 years of that time. Ended up back here in Portland to start Mars Hill Portland. Um, and that became Redeemer, and then we joined Door of Hope. So 21 years of ministry. I have three daughters, 15, 16, and 17, I think, right now. No, 14, 16, and 17. All in high school this year. Excited to be here. Awesome. And what would you say you do here? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I came to Door of Hope uh, as Redeemer merged with Door of Hope, and I had a great uh, sabbatical that was generously offered to me this time last year for October, November, December. And then I came officially onto the team in January and did a variety of different things. But a few months ago, as Mark LaRue ended up transitioning off staff, I ended up kind of slipping into something like his slot, and now I'm called the executive pastor of staff and ministries. So so myself and Russ and Josh together form what we're calling the executive team, and Russ handles the finances and facilities and HR and that kind of thing, and then I'm over the staff and the ministries and most of the other things that we do. And then, uh, Josh is over what he's over. I don't, and I'm not totally sure what that is. <laughs> and why I continue to refer to myself as the amateur pastor. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing Tim. Um, thanks for being here guys. Uh, if you clicked on this, you saw the title today, we are discussing spiritual warfare, uh, which can be kind of a, an intimidating, an ambiguous and a scary subject all at the same time. We hope, uh, if you're a, a part of Door of Hope, if you are a leader at Door of Hope, or even if you're just someone listening from elsewhere, we hope this is helpful. We hope it gives you confidence in, um, in Jesus as we talk about this subject. Um, so we'll just jump straight in. Uh, what, what does it mean that Christianity is a, a supernaturalist worldview? Um, I'm struck by, for a group of people that believe in God, uh, it's very easy to exist and live as if uh, everything that we see, everything that we can notice, everything in the material world is kind of all there is. Um, why is that not the case? Well, I think that Scripture is really clear that that a materialistic worldview is not compatible with the Christian worldview. Uh, that God is spirit, that no man has seen him at any time, 
that the foundation of our belief system is that God has fully revealed himself through the incarnation, through the sending of his son, that it is God in human flesh. Uh, but what we are told is that there is a spiritual world uh, beyond the material world, uh, which for most of human history, that was a, a given. <laughs> uh, uh, not until the Enlightenment did that become a diminished view. Uh, and obviously in a, in a materialistic worldview, uh, where science really has become the new religion, uh, the, the spiritual domain is often ignored, and yet still, I think, fundamentally, fundamentally believed by most human beings. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that it's, it's an interesting thing that uh, when we speak of the demonic, uh, there are lots of people that don't believe in Jesus or believe in the gospel, but actually are quite convinced that there's personal evil out yeah. there. Mm. Uh, and, so, and so I think the scripture... Uh, although the scripture isn't exhaustive on this topic because the the purpose of scripture is God giving his word to humanity, uh, there is lots of points in the scripture we see from Genesis all the way to Revelation that there is something fundamentally going on behind what is seen. Uh, and I think that it would, we are all comfortable uh, referring to that as, as some sort of not only just spiritual dominion, but actually some sort of spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not dualistic in that we don't believe that good and evil are, are equal. What we believe is that God is good, but there has been a rebellion in his creation. Uh, and it, that rebellion began in the unseen world. Uh, and I, I, there's various views on who is the devil and what are demons. Uh, I, but I think that a, a kind of traditional uh, view amongst Christians and even among the Jewish faith is that that, that dominion of darkness is, is some sort of fall uh, among the angelic host. Created good in rebellion yes. against God. So the first, the first sniff we get, sniff, that's a weird way to put it. I'll use it. The first sniff we get of this sort of supernatural war where it's really made explicit comes in Genesis three. Mm -hmm. So we're told before that God exists. He's created everything that exists. Um, he, ha he himself has created it. It's distinct from him. Uh, but we get to Genesis three, everything's been good up to this point, And all of a sudden there's this serpent figure who clearly has an agenda, uh, to thwart what God has tasked his people with and the mm -hmm. relationship that they're to have with him. So, it doesn't explain he's a mysterious figure at that yep. point in the narrative. We're like, Oh, okay. There's a, there's a, there's a conflict here. Um, something else has happened. Something went down before the story is picked up in Genesis three. Mm -hmm. That scripture doesn't seem super concerned with explaining. We, we are left with more questions, right? Yeah. As the, as the biblical narrative plays out as, as, as you read forward, you begin to be able to put some pieces together um, but the war, we, we see it, we see it very clearly, um, in by page three of the Bible, uh, this, this thing, whatever it is, the serpent, it seeks to isolate the believers from God, put discord between them with one another. Um, and under, under its influence, Adam and Eve decide to reject God. They forge their own vision for what's good, right? Beautiful. They embrace sin. And the consequences spill out across the land, we're told there in Genesis 3, 6 through 19. Death. Yeah, yeah. death. The kids are killing each other, rising up against one another in jealousy and hatred. And unfortunately, it looks much more like the world we still see today. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, I think it's really important to note as we even like to start this conversation. So there's a war, but we're told repeatedly, uh, certain God's rule is, is never ultimately threatened in the old Testament, but certainly by the time we're into the new Testament, a big theme of that is Jesus's final victory in this war. Mm-hmm. The, the guarantee that he's not only already victorious, but he will be victorious finally and in a comprehensive way in some day that's yet to come. Just talk about what, what does it mean that Jesus is victor already in this war? Yeah, I mean, in Mark, the first message that we see Jesus preach, this is what most people believe is the first of the gospel stories to be written it's summarized, it's kind of a Cliff Notes version of what I assume would have been a longer message, but Mark announces it, that Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus comes announcing that with his arrival also comes the reign of God. Now we know that that didn't result in everything being put right. The the, the general expectation of that time was that, was that, uh, the Messiah would come to restore Israel to glory and, and prominence. When I preached the Gospel of Mark, uh, I said to, to make Israel great again. Uh, Mega, uh, as it were. Um, and, and he didn't do that because, and that frustrated some people, and I think it's ultimately part of what got him killed, but, but it's ultimately because he wasn't there to just institute an earthly kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom um, that will ultimately be fulfilled at his second coming, and, and 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 so now we're in the time between the times, between the arrival and the inauguration of that kingdom, and then the final fulfillment of that kingdom, and everything it seems that has been going on over time is ramped up in this time between the times, in terms of conflict between these kingdoms, and Jesus constantly speaks of it in those terms. His kingdom is not of this world. He, it's his kingdom versus the kingdom of the world. Uh, the apostles pick up on that elsewhere in the New Testament as well. And so in a very real sense, it is a war between kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth of which a real personal evil plays a key part in. Yeah, in fact, First John says that that the entire world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I think it's important to note, too, that there's something about the incarnation, the presence of Christ, uh, that seemed to draw to the surface like dross. Uh, mm. If we remember correctly, it was the demons who who identified who Jesus was yeah. uh, before his own disciples They were the first did. ones to profess. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they were fully aware of what was going on. And I think this is one of those mysterious components that we see um, again and again in Scripture is God's, uh, God's ultimate uh, rule over his universe, but that there's this rebellion within his universe. And, that, and this is what uh, is meant by theologians like Luther when he says uh, Satan is still the Lord's Satan. Uh, that that what God uh, permitted for a time, Jesus's entry into the world was Satan's defeat, hmm. uh, and I, I, and I think that this is a, an important component of what we have to keep in mind when we talk about the cross. Is that the cross and and the atonement of Christ uh, did not just simply work out the forgiveness 
of sins uh, for humanity, but it was also the defeat of sin, of of death, mm. and of the devil himself. Yeah. So, just to recap, what we've got here, what we discussed so far, is there's, in the beginning was God, and then God creates, and part of that creation is... Uh, some number of spiritual beings, some of which we figure out by implication by Genesis three have rebelled against him and their purposes are opposed to him and they corrupt humanity, humanity, Adam and Eve reject God's purposes. They give in to the serpent's plan and the rest of human history has been in the shadow of that as sin and death and destruction. And we can say that humanity God. actually entered into that same rebellion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They bought into the lie mm-hmm. of the initial rebellion and became a part of that rebellion. That's right. Yeah. And so God is working all throughout the biblical narrative and then, and then culminating in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus where he decisively wins the war. He decisively defeats this rebellion. But now we wait in this in-between time where we await the final consummation where Jesus returns and finally st- essentially stomps out the rebellion once and for all, Correct. which will be good news for everyone. The issue that's at stake, though, with that narrative is that a defeated enemy is actually a more d- dangerous enemy mm-hmm. because yeah. he's not a... He, he has not been eradicated, mm-hmm. um, but he knows he's defeated. And so I think it was Augustine that refers to him as a wounded, as like a wounded wild animal. Uh, yeah, that's which such a make, good image. Which makes him even more dangerous. Or the, mm-hmm. as Lewis puts it, it's like, a, it's like a war that's been won, but there's still pockets around yeah. the world where the war is still being fought. It's like mm-hmm. the image I just got was like an insurgency like, yeah. like that we see in multiple places around the world. You, you have a decisive political victory, but there's all these pockets that are dug in and it's almost impossible to root it all out. Yeah. Yeah. And so with all that, like the, the pretty much the definitive passage on what is spiritual warfare is, is what Paul speaks to in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, when he says in this in between time until Jesus returns, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to talk about how to to fight that battle in the the rest of of Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah. And so we... It, it may not be helpful in some ways to draw a sharp distinction here, but we'll draw, let's say, a non-sharp distinction between really two kinds of demonic or spiritual warfare stuff. Uh, you might call one category the everyday demonic that's a bit more subtle. We might even call it mundane. And then the other we might call the extraordinary. And so it's probably not helpful to ultimately cut those finally I, apart from one another. Cam, if but, I could insert, I would say that one, I would say that the extraordinary uh, manifestations of, of, supernatural evil are almost red herrings Mm. uh, to at times I think to distract us Mm. uh, from what is the common daily battle that every single person finds themselves in. Common daily and extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't about when I say common and daily, I'm not talking about demons under every rock, but I'm talking about a world that is under the sway of the wicked one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those demonic forces that are at play 
uh, within society and behind the structures of things uh, that we just have to be aware that that though Satan is a powerful foe, his uh, his methods uh, he's he only has a few, and it's maybe because it's all he needs because they seem <laughs> to be extremely effective. Yeah. So to to talk about that side of it, um, I think it's first really important to say that if a key part of the enemy's agenda is to pull away as many of God's people, God's image bearers from his rule, his family as possible, then first of all, evangelism is a key front line of this thing because uh, that's the way in which someone is finally purchased, finally redeemed, finally saved, finally um, invited into the victory uh, that Jesus has accomplished in this war. And so, seeing people come to believe in Jesus and what he's done on their behalf, um, to find favor and fellowship with God through, through Jesus on the cross. That's like tier one of this. But, but even then after someone has become a Christian, the spiritual, it's not like you're instantly exited from the war. There's still influence. There's still struggle. There's still battle, um, to fight. And so I want to talk about some of these uh, as we've been saying, more common, not less important, not less spiritual in any way, but, but, but commonplace um, strategies, you might say. And, and I would say in regards to the evangelism piece, it's not just the, the intensity of the battle for the person about to come to faith, the, the intensity of the battle for the believer that engages in God's rescue plan um, puts you on the front line of that spiritual war. And so mm -hmm. as Luis Palau, I was just with him this weekend, said that you are playing in enemy territory mm -hmm. when you engage in God's great rescue mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, because if the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, as Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, uh, and we are calling people to come into the kingdom of light, uh, we can be sure that uh, that Satan is not is not wanting to release those under his control mm -hmm. lightly, and he hates God and God's people, and will do whatever he can to destroy that witness. Yeah, I think it's Luther that used the categories of world, flesh, and devil. Isn't that what he said, Josh? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, I think that's it, it's a helpful side note in this that that when we're talking about things like temptation, accusation, deception, persecution, um, you can look at those through each of those three lenses, each of which is a battle of sorts. There are systems in the world that tempt, accuse, deceive, and persecute believers. Uh, then there is sin dwelling within us um, that, the, that the Bible also often speaks of as, as the flesh, this sinful nature that even as believers, there are, there are still vestiges and, and, and holds in our life uh, where sin still has influence. And, and that can lead to temptation, accusation, deception, and persecution. And then there is thirdly, the devil. There is personal, spiritual evil that fights against us with temptation, accusation, deception, and persecution. And, and when you are experiencing temptation, it could be any one of those three, or more than likely, it could be all three. It could be a sense in which... Uh, our current culture of lust and sexual objectification 
is playing a hand in, in temptation. Uh, it can be sin living in you that you are drawn into uh, from that. And then in a very real sense, there can be a real spiritual force of evil that is seeking to make you susceptible to temptation. Mm. Um, so it's important to make the point that, that as we start to talk more about the demonic, we're not saying that the temptation is wholly demonic, but anything opposed to the perfect will and word of God is in some sense demonic, but there's also plenty going on inside of us and around us in the world as well, even yeah. though we're going to focus probably most of the rest of the conversation on demonic. That's a great point. So you, you've used the word temptation. Let's just jump in here. Uh, let's discuss that as maybe one of the first and most foundational strategies and battlefronts of the spiritual war. What, what is temptation? Well, it, temptation is, is being drawn to act upon a desire at the wrong time in the wrong way. Hmm. So desires are good and natural. Urges are a part of human existence. Uh, temptation is the is being drawn toward that desire in a way that perverts the good uh, to to take and I, I think that a good way for us to even frame it is to think in terms of the, the Christian life, the fulfillment of the law and in the means by which we abide in Christ is by abiding in his agape love, his self-giving love, which is also meant to be the love that is reflected through us, uh, that that our culture and that is under the influence and of the demonic. Uh, and yes, it's true that demons aren't responsible for everything we do wrong, but there is a demonic influence that plays on our own weaknesses, on our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. I would say that, that there is the constant desire to act upon the opposite of agape, which is eros, which is self-possessive. Uh, and the essence of the Christian life is is death to self. That's not the eradication of identity, uh, but it's the death to the selfish mm. ego that keeps us separated from God from one, and from one another. And so Satan plays on on our desires uh, by blowing them out of proportion, mm -hmm. drawing us to, uh, in, I think, in, almost inspiring us, whispering uh, those, those, those secrets uh, into our ears that are not truth. They're anchored in what he is, which is a liar. Yep. Yeah. James 1 and, says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Yes, yeah. and so I, so I think a great way to think of it is if you think of temptation, and accusation is essentially a one-two punch. Mm -hmm. Temptation for the believer is often, go ahead, do it. It's not that big of a deal. It's all grace, man. God will forgive you, mm. and then you give in to the temptation. You take the desire in the wrong way at the wrong time, <laughs> and and then comes the accusation: hmm. God will never forgive you for that. Yeah. And haven't we Such all? A good point. Haven't we all been there? It's the and and that's why I think that 
temptation and accusation are the two primary principles that Satan uses, and the foundation is deception. Mm. He's a liar. And so it's all wrapped up in a lie. And a lot of it goes back to just replaying Genesis 3 over and over again. The original lie was, was God is holding out on you. He knows if you eat of this fruit, you'll be just like God. And he doesn't want you to be just like God. He doesn't want you to, to look within and find the divinity within yourself. Uh, and so he's pushing you down. He's keeping you down. He's holding you back. He's keeping good things from you. And that's why you need to actualize your potential and take of this uh, and live up to to what he's holding back from you. And and I think that's a lot of the form that, that is he really good? Is yeah. he really good? If he was really or, good, he would give you what you want, right? So you should go take it. Or the central, I, I would even say that the central temptation is to function in independence from yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. That is essentially yeah. the central temptation. Mm-hmm. And that even is the temptation that Satan presented to Jesus himself. Yeah. Was It was not wrong for Jesus to eat uh but he was he was being tempted to act in independence from his father mm-hmm. in independence and, from the spirit and certainly not wrong for jesus to be made king of the world no as was one of the temptations but not in that way and not in that time right. exactly mm-hmm. he is he, so. he he is he was <laughs> is and will be the king that's of the right world. so he plays on the essence of what sin is by very yep. nature which is a rebellion against god's rule Mm-hmm. And that's the essence of the everyday demonic. Like Josh said earlier, when we talk about the non- demonic, and we're going to talk about this in just a few minutes, but when we talk about it, we tend to talk about extraordinary examples that we've seen in films or heard stories about while denying the the <laughs> the brutal reality, which is every time you choose self o- over others or God, that is demonic. Yeah. yeah. Anytime we choose, and you can understand how, when you start to think about it, you can see how deeply woven that demonic message is into the very fabric of our society. When you choose yourself, when you love yourself first, that is the everyday demonic. That, and that's the essence of what I call it the gospel of Disney, uh, but it's really <laughs> the gospel of everything right now, right? Yeah. It's that, uh, that, that loving yourself is the only way to love others. Um, which is the exact opposite of the message of Jesus, which is to deny yourself. Yeah, that's well said. So we've we've touched on temptation and accusation. I like that image of them as a one-two punch. Uh, a third category, and we'll we'll move through these quickly. The third uh, is is deception. It's 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 lies uh, mm-hmm. to believe things about false things about God, about themselves, possibly about other things. Mm-hmm. Leading people away from the truth as God has revealed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's summed up most profoundly uh, when Jesus is stood before the people by Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Hmm. And before Jesus can even give him an answer, or told that Pontius Pilate walked away. Mm. And I think that this he is... Yes, rhetorically, what is truth? Yeah. That's the and, spirit of the age. Yeah. And I think that that, that, that is a, a ch- when everything is built upon this foundation of, of a lie, which is that you are your own God, 
when you when we live in an age uh, that is that is driven by uh, anxiety and loneliness, and we're continually fed uh, false hopes that only further exhaust and, and annihilate and and uh, destroy human existence. Uh, it's we don't have to look that far to discover that that we have often built our lives on lies, that we ourselves uh, have a pension toward dishonesty, uh, that we view our histories through a dishonest lens. And because Satan is the liar and the father of all lies, it once again becomes quite easy for him to continually play upon our own sinful, broken humanity. Uh, which is the moment you disengage yourself from the rule of the one who says, I am the truth. Uh, we are we are building our entire existence upon a false foundation. And so and that's why Jesus says, Whoever whoever, you know, ignores my words and tries to build his house, he's building on a on on sand, on a faulty foundation, and the house will fall down. And so I think that this idea of of deception is that Satan is are, is playing on the already fundamental brokenness of human existence. That's why I think that we're far more bound mm. by sin than we think, and why we need a gospel that's down to earth, God's intervention uh, into the deceitfulness of sin, mm-hmm. uh, and so in what Scripture calls the exceeding sinfulness of sin, mm. uh, because it blinds us. Uh, to the truth. And Jesus says, if you know me, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's the response of the people? We've always been free. And Jesus says, no, you're not free. In fact, and your father is not God or Abraham. Mm. It's Satan, who's the father of all lies, Mm. which is, I think is a really fascinating picture that's quite terrifying uh, when we realize that the world follows after, after lies because the lies keep us anchored in a false idea of freedom. Yeah. And I think when we talk about deception, we have to point as well, just briefly to the ongoing and continual erosion of confidence in God's word. Mm-hmm. What we know about God most clearly and most deeply comes through his revealed word to us. And now more than ever, the world is full of people who believe they have come to a place in intellect and education where they just simply cannot believe that anymore. But just ask yourself, we're all surrounded by people who have come to doubt the truth and trustworthiness of scripture and who has ever become a more loving, selfless, godly person after they have denied the truth of God's word. It almost Mm -hmm. always leads in a completely other direction. And I think it's one of the, again, it goes right back to Genesis 3 when the the serpent comes and seeks to undermine what God has said about himself that he's good uh, to the to the first humans yeah in Jesus's prayer his final high priestly prayer father sanctify them by your truth yeah. your word is truth yeah. uh, and this is this is why Paul even talks about our spiritual warfare uh, that our victory over the lies of the enemy 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the deceit. And we all believe lies. There are lies that we can believe within ourselves, but there are also lies that come from outside of us mm-hmm. that do have a spiritual nature that can create doubts. All this, like, where do those feelings come as believers when all of a sudden we just become convinced that God can't possibly love us yeah. or that He can't possibly forgive us or that we can never possibly overcome this area of, of, of bondage in our lives? That is the, that's the two. Uh, the one-two punch that's very foundation um, comes from the father of lies, the devil yep. himself. Yeah. Well, maybe we can lump these last two together. I think they, they don't always go together, but they can, which is physical attack or abuse. In the New Testament, we do see um, a, a handful of examples where demonic influence results in physical harm being done mm-hmm. to someone or through someone, mm-hmm. uh, as well as persecution, uh, demonic activity in order to punish faithful Christian witness mm-hmm. in following Jesus. Uh, those can come together, they can be separate, but the, the reality is there's there's a darkly spiritual component to all instances of, of abuse. You know what? I would speak to two things that often we don't think of in terms of physical attack or abuse um, or persecution together that are two of the, the, the primary ways that the enemy is, uh, is the enemy's control over this world system is being so played out, especially at, at pastoring Door of Hope for the last 10 years. I've seen it with, with men. I've seen, I've seen it played out uh, in, in sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Where there is a demonic component yep. to it, uh, the objectification of women to the point where they are objects to be controlled and dominated, uh, to the way that they are treated as non-human, uh, even the appearances, often uh, the 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 increase, the inc- ever increasing violent nature of pornography there is a demonic component to it that is undeniable but it it's it the impact on it uh, on men who watch this over and over again physically uh ends up in all sorts of it plays itself out uh in a physical brokenness but i think directly corresponding to that is again and again I have seen that same on the other side of it is this idea of the ideal that is portrayed in pornography being played out and in our entertainment industry and in the demonic component of eating disorders among women totally. uh, and uh, and I've you know I've often I've often said that I think that if we, we if we are concerned about sex trafficking in 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 America and the world at large that if we could actually eradicate pornography that would actually probably get rid of sex trafficking but all of these I think are caught up in a demonic component that plays itself out in every arena of human existence it does it's violent crimes uh, physical abuse uh, 
mental disintegration. Yeah. The, those are just two areas where I, th- I see mm. the demonic uh, in a demonic undercurrent that is yeah. undeniable. And this is why I would say when men open up their computers and and look at porn, they are literally letting the devil into their room. Yeah. And that is not an overstatement to scare young kids into not looking at pornography. I think it actually is the eyes are windows to the soul mm. and there's something that comes in, but it works its way out into the mind and, and even into the body, creating dysfunction in every arena of life. Mm. And I think it, and I think it's impact on men and women um, is, is just, this is one example of how the demonic, um, I think is, is truly where you see the father of lies, and and the in the world that is under his sway being played out, just to, I think something that I I've I've noticed. And I think that we can't downplay the fact that suicide is an all time high. There is something fundamentally spiritual going on. Yeah. Uh, for people to believe that their their existence, uh, that they would be better off mm-hmm. not living. Uh, that because is that not what Satan comes to bring? Um, What does the unman say in Lewis's Paralandria? I have come to give you death and to give it to you abundantly. Mm. I think that that, Satan is the antithesis of what Jesus came to bring. That's such a great point. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy in every way. And anything that maligns and distorts the image of God that we were created in is a victory for the enemy. And that is a spiritual reality as much as it's a mental reality uh, and has multiple different dimensions it is a spiritual reality and when someone is eating too little and wants to just like pass away and dissolve I've seen it with people who are eating too much to the point of morbid obesity as a way to punish themselves or or satisfy themselves in an inappropriate way to sexual addiction to people who are cutting to uh, a new gal once that was just seized with the overwhelming desire to throw herself down the stairs and did it repeatedly throughout Mm. her life broken bones um, to the point of somebody else I knew who uh, had this overwhelming desire to get in car accidents these are certainly have mental dimensions to them but they very clearly have a spiritual dimension as well that comes it's actually a, aspects of everything we've been talking about. It's a lie and it's deception. It's an accusation that you are nothing and you don't deserve anything. It's a temptation uh, that ultimately ends up manifesting itself in in harm to them themselves or others. And it needs to be rebuked for the lie that it is. I mean, what is yeah. that? I mean, we we see in a society that isn't even more increasingly anxious. Um, but it's also a, a society that is increasingly angry. And uh, I am like, I, I see the nihilism uh, is it's weird. It's like a, it's like a violent, violent nihilism. And I'm just reminded of the passage, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give mm, a foothold to the yeah. devil. I think that once again, that all of these things become what it's what we talk about when, you know, Possession is one of those words that's a very loaded word, and I think not a very helpful one. Uh, it, but I think that when we talk about what does it look like to come under the influence or the oppressive hand or even the control of the evil one, when we have unconfessed sin, when we have, when we have areas uh, in our lives where anger is still dominant, all of these areas, these pinpoints where we can let 
we can let that unseen battle, uh, we can find ourselves on the, on the losing side, even though we have victory, uh, total victory in Jesus. The enemy wants us to forget that position. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's again and again, uh, the, the, the problem, uh, in the, in a key aspect of spiritual warfare, why we need to talk about it in the church. Yeah. And it's kind of surprising to see in that same passage we read earlier from Ephesians 6 that identifies the war against the war being a spiritual war. Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 6 and on, he says, Therefore, because of all this, take up the armor of God, the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. He says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your... I'm reading the NASB, so there may be some funny funny phrasing here having girded your loins with the truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the word of god with prayer and petition pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and he goes on but his answer to what do we do in the face of this kind of spiritual warfare in our lives is actually surprisingly simple. I mean, if you just look at those things that he just listed, it's essentially just returning to the basics of Christian faithfulness, of Christian discipleship and community. Pursue truth. There's lies, so turn to truth. There's Pursue righteousness. Remind yourself of the gospel. Shore up your faith. Remind yourself of salvation. He says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the the word of God itself. He says, spirit led prayer. Um, there's no like magic formula here. It's abide in Christ in the ways the church has understood that we do that like, since the beginning. And that's not super sexy or exciting. It probably won't sell a ton of books, but if you want to stand firm in this war, you abide in the simple ways of turning to Jesus. And I think that that it really comes down to some key things. One of the things that Luther who, who seemed to engage in spiritual warfare, I mean, I think some people are more sensitive to the spiritual realities than other. And Luther seemed to be one of those people who's extremely sensitive to it. And he always said that, that solitude is the enemy's playground that, and we talk about solitude as a spiritual discipline. And I do think that it's important that I almost, I was talking with Tim earlier about this today. The importance is the principle of, of being with God. Uh, but it also says in scripture, it's not good that man be alone. And I think that what this speaks to the reality that we need one another. Because sometimes people come under the oppressive hand of the enemy and, and they aren't even aware that they're under it. And they, and they can't see it clearly for themselves. And this is why we need to understand that what it means to walk in the light is to walk in the posture of to have that confessional. Uh, we, what we need to develop is the confessional reflex, is what I would refer to it as, is to confess when things don't feel right, to, 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 to be vulnerable with one another, uh, to be a part of a community that's anchored 
in scripture around the person of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why why we do think the church matters yeah. uh, because the battle against the enemy, we're not called to go out and chase demons. We're not called to, when we, we often hear phrases like storm the gates of hell. Every time you bring the gospel into the world, you're storming the gates of hell. But that doesn't that's mean right. we're, we're not demon hunters and that's no knock to my friend's band. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, what, what we are is gospel proclaimers, uh, and it is in is as we proclaim the witness of as witnesses to the good news of Jesus, we're going to engage in warfare, and this is why we need the Scripture, why we need the Holy Spirit, and why we need one another. Yeah, um, and that's the essence of why we're even doing this podcast is because you, as leaders, and particularly community group leaders, are going to be the ones to whom, hopefully, as the Spirit moves, the people will bring many of these very things to you and we hope that our church is an environment overall and particularly each community group is a more specific environment that will encourage and create a safe space for people to share these things and for some of you that's probably already going on for some of you maybe even as we're listing off some of the things that we just did they're they're shocking and i would just encourage that one of the one of the best things you can do to to pray for and and try to create that environment of openness is just to expect that the people in your group are struggling with things so that when they do share with them share them with you you're not super surprised by it or you don't freak out by it you'll be shocked how many people are struggling with all the things that Josh and I just listed i've been shocked to find out how many people cut themselves and how there's an element of deception in the midst of that, which, which tells them that everybody does it. And it's not that big a deal. Uh, everybody I've known who cuts themselves feels that way. It's like, Oh, it's not a big deal. I mean, everybody just got a lot of a little steam sometimes. You just cut yourself, you know, they've convinced themselves. They believe lies to that extent. And so mm. uh, certainly there's a sense that we should be surprised and have care for folks, but we want to, we want to create an environment where, where hopefully this can be a safe place where people can maybe share some of that for the very first time. And when they share that, that we come around them quickly with the love and the grace of God that like, no, you are, you are dearly loved. Uh, you have been bought at a price with the, the blood of Jesus. And that's what defines you now, not any accusation against you or any sin that you've committed or any sin that's been committed against you. So we're hoping that these things come out and the essence of what we're calling you to do is not to enter into some extraordinary process to address the demonic, but rather just just embody the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is in response. And I think that if you're having the kind of questions that might pop up, like what do I do if I come across someone that seems to be experiencing demonic oppression? Or how do I sort out the difference between mental illness and demonic oppression, which often people find confusing when they read the New, New Testament scriptures. First of all, Satan doesn't play fairly. So it's not unusual uh, that people that are struggling mentally uh, can become an easy target for the enemy. I myself experienced that firsthand going through a severe season of anxiety and not sleeping actually opened me up 
to unusual levels of spiritual attack. Also being on the front line of leading a new church that was growing uh, led to some significant spiritual warfare. And and I asked my mentor, Gary Brashears, to come and pray through my house because it was affecting our whole family. We were waking up in the middle of the night for no reason with it, all having nightmares at the same time, all kinds of just weird things that were outside of what I would refer to as normal activity. Uh, and so I think that the, the key is understanding that we have, we have power and authority, uh, that the enemy has no place in our lives and we can claim the victory of Jesus and we can command whatever unclean spirit might be at play in our lives and it may feel weird but you can declare uh, you can demand that it leave in the name of Jesus and then thank Jesus that his his blood has has not only purchased your forgiveness but it has also conquered the dominions of darkness I, I think that that the other aspect of that that we need to understand when we're dealing with people that might be experiencing uh, that kind of uh, that kind of spiritual oppression is people can be fearful to share uh, yeah that's a great that, point that they're experiencing it and and I just want you to know that I'm, I'm also just as Tim said he's not he's surprised at the amount of people that confess I'm surprised at the amount of people that confess to have heard voices that tell them to hurt themselves. Uh, mm, yeah. uh, and these are normal, healthy people that uh, that the enemy is active. Uh, and some people do have a greater sensitivity uh, to spiritual things than others. Uh, but we need, to, we need to not be afraid. And we need to expect that we're going to come across these things yep. when we're standing in the gap for Jesus Christ when we are willing to be the witnesses that he's called us to be. And Portland is a city that seems to have a, a, a extreme spiritual stronghold over it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do believe that there are, there are, there are places uh, that have greater levels of demonic activity. And uh, you know, there's debates on whether that can be argued theologically just I, all I can say is pragmatically. Yep. Uh, and there's been places I've been in the world where demonic oppression seems to be a normal, almost daily activity. And I think it often goes hand in hand in places where societies or, or, or places are more open to spiritual realities. Portland is no stranger to uh, spiritualism. It is not an atheistic city. It's a very spiritual city. It's just not a very Christian city. Uh, and so that's something I think people need to be aware of. Yeah, and one thing that came to mind when you brought that up is something that we discussed a few podcast episodes back when we were talking about drug use. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's definitely a common and, and rising movement to kind of achieve transcendence or some sort of richer, deeper spirituality through the use of hallucinogens and other drugs. And there may be some spiritual stuff, but it's not of Jesus, and it's not good. It's to open yourself up to a world of danger. We're told to test the spirits, That's and right. Satan comes as an angel of light. So I think we often think he's going to be the, the red man with horns and the tail and the pitchfork. But, you know, I think that that's a, a very false idea. Satan uh, often deceives God's own people. 
Paul writes again and again warnings to the church of how demonic influences have entered into the church uh, and God's own people are become have have become persuaded or you look at Jesus's words to the churches in Revelation clearly their demonic activity where Satan will come in and try to deceive God's people um, and this is why we need to be a people of prayer uh, and we need to we need to be able to know how to discern uh, the spirits uh, because there's a lot of spiritual activity yeah and so what we've kind of shifted into here is a, a bit of a discussion of of maybe the more extraordinary demonic which we've said is is, is often way more rare um, but uh, I don't know, there may be a few more points to speak on this more extraordinary side, just to clarify some things and hopefully give you confidence. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're talking about the everyday demonic and just general persecution, temptation, accusation, there are other extraordinary things that are mentioned throughout scripture. And we definitely believe that all of those things were real and that they still happen today. And a lot of this leads and revolves around the question that a lot of folks ask, which is, so so can a believer, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I think the point that is important about that question is it, it's it's not really the best question. The word, the, the term demon-possessed is not an expressly biblical category. Now, some translations of your scripture, if you've ever studied this issue, you might see do use this phrase demon possessed but the the phrase demon possessed is in this particular instance an interpretive choice by the translators of that particular translation and the greek word underneath it uh actually is is a word that is more could more be more clearly translated as demonized or is uh translated in other translations as having a demon or demon oppressed and i think that's a better more biblical understanding and category so if somebody does not have the spirit of god in their life they are they are completely given over to spiritual evil and they have very little means with which to push back against the influence of spiritual evil in the world for those who do have the spirit of god in them who do belong to jesus they are not owned by that evil anymore and they do have the means by which to resist and yet at the same time through sin and through yielding to different kinds of deception, they can give the enemy influence. And we see that on some level in Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul says in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In this world, this word opportunity is the Greek word topos, which you might guess can uh, it, it leans to the word topography. It means either give an occasion or... Or a specific place to the devil and so I think what Paul seems to be speaking to is that is that through sin through deception we are not owned by evil as Christians but we can give a place we can give an influence we can give an occasion to spiritual evil to have influence in our lives and when that happens uh, extraordinary things can happen, things that are a bit more above and beyond the normal, a bit more supernatural than, say, just simply temptation or accusation. And you probably heard stories about this. I've seen this many times in my life. Josh has seen it as well. And I think rather than going into lots of those stories and details about when things get a little crazy, I think what we just want to encourage you towards is, is 
to come talk to us. If, yeah. if there's something like that going on in your group, if if this starts off as a simple time of confession in your community group, but something gets kind of above and beyond, reach out to your community group coach or reach out to Josh or myself or one of the other, uh, Cam, one of the other pastors on Sunday. We would love to, to walk with you in this and do whatever we can to help. Yeah, and I would, you know, I would just simply say this too. I think that it's easy to become fascinated uh, with this topic, uh, whether it's a fascination with angels or it's a fascination with demons. That's not the focus of the scriptures. That's right. Uh, the the scriptures are are about God's redemptive purposes for humanity. Everything God reveals about himself in the Bible is directly connected to his relationship with us. And we need to keep in mind always that that the central heartbeat of the Christian life is what we've been talking about in our last series, which is making our home in Jesus, keeping our door open to him, mm-hmm. allowing him into every arena of our lives. The safest place for the believer is staying close to Christ. And we stay close to Christ by being in his word, by being in prayer, by yielding ourselves to his spirit, and by staying in his community. Uh, And that empowers us then to enter into this battle, to enter into this dominion that is under, under the devil's rule, to be a part of this great rescue mission. But Jesus himself, when he taught us to pray, asked, Asks us to pray, keep us from the evil one. We're not going out looking for demons. Right. What we're going out is to proclaim the victory of Jesus over the dominions of darkness, over death, and over sin. And I promise when we do that, we're going to engage dark things at times. But that's okay because the light reveals. Uh, and I just encourage you to continue to walk in the light. Uh, and this is why we need one another. Uh, this is why we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the scriptures to, to, to ground us in the truth of who is Christ himself. And my favorite passage on this, that Jesus speaks directly to what you just said, Josh, is it comes from the Gospel of Luke. And this has helped me uh, whenever I have engaged with studying or being involved with or confronting anything that we've talked about. Uh, the story is Jesus sends out the disciples for one of the first times and they come back from this first kind of work out separate from Jesus and they come back uh, with joy and it says they say to Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he responds to them. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He acknowledges that there is a true spiritual personal evil. But he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, at the end of the day, yes, you do have power over spiritual forces of evil in the world. They will be subject to you. They are subject to us as believers in Christ. Yet that is never to be the focus. It is to be just what Josh has said. It is that that your names are written in heaven, that we belong to God. And so the way we push back against spiritual evil in the world, whether it be everyday or extraordinary, is by reminding one another who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. And anytime 
when you're focusing more on the demon behind anything or focusing more attention on the work of the demonic than the work of Jesus and the gospel, things are out of whack. And so keep that in mind for you personally as we dig into the series in the coming weeks and also keep that in mind for the people in your groups. And when you see folks, some people are enamored with this and can become easily enamored in that when you see folks focusing in in a way that's kind of out of whack on these subjects, Take them to Luke 10, uh, verses 17 through 20, and remind them that, that, that that's out of balance. We're to focus way more on the truth of who we are because of the gospel than anything involving demonic, extraordinary, or ordinary, or otherwise. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. We're about out of time, so I would just say... Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or whatever, um, if you want a little more info, we have a handout that you can find on the Door of Hope website. Go to the sermon page, find the Leadership Podcast page, and then there's a handout. There's some links to some articles and books that you might find helpful. Um, and otherwise, if you're a part of Door of Hope and you feel like you need some pastoral assistance along these lines, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, But we hope this is helpful. We hope this gives you confidence in Jesus and his victory in this world we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. So um, until next time, thanks for listening.